Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is a show where we talk about the latest news, restaurants, everything that's happening in the Houston culinary scene. We'll be joined today for an in-depth interview with Ronnie Killen. I call him the meat king of Houston. He's got four restaurants in Pearland and Houston. We'll be talking to him about his Killen's burgers and the struggles with that. We'll talk about the success of his new restaurant, Killen's SDQ. And then he will exclusively reveal some details about his plans for expanding his barbecue restaurant. So stick around for that. Before we get into the news of the week, I just want to thank everybody who listened to the first episode. We are now available on iTunes, so please subscribe it, subscribe to it, rate it, leave us a comment. But as Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. So uh, let's get into the news of the week. I want to welcome my co-host, Nathan Ketchum. Nathan is a restaurant consultant here in Houston and the former owner of Samba Grill. Nathan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. Let's get going. I mean, the, the big news of the week is that Finally, after on his sixth try, Hugo Ortega has won a James Beard Award for Best, Best Chef Southwest. Could you just explain to the people at home like how important the James Beard Awards are and kind of what this means for Hugo in the city of Houston? Yeah, I mean, it's commonly referred to as the, the Oscars of the culinary world, but I'm not even sure if that really describes it. I mean, for a, for a chef, it's just it's a dream come true to, you know, as they say, it's an honor to be nominated, but it truly is. I mean... It's it's the significance no one gets. So right, I mean, you're being recognized by the national culinary world for exceptional achievement, and it should be noted Houston is on a great run of these. After going 22 years without one, the city has now won three of the last four. Chris Shepard won in 2014. Justin Yu from Oxheart won in 2016, and Hugo just won. And the only thing that broke it up was Aaron Franklin, Franklin Barbecue in Austin. Uh, I guess if you're the best pitmaster in the world, you're probably worthy of James Beard Award. I mean, Houston had such a dry spell, and every year we were pumping out articles about how we were being disrespected and overlooked. And you yeah, know. I don't want to. I don't want to read those articles anymore. We, as a city, this award, if nothing else, cements that Houston is the best dining city in the state of Texas, and that we fully have the nation's attention. I mean, people are paying attention to Houston our chefs, our restaurants, our bars in a way that they never have before. Yeah, there's an article once a month about, you know, where to dine in Houston when you're traveling or why Texas, Houston is the one of the best dining cities in the U.S. or what restaurants to, to go to to experience Houston and Texas cuisine. I mean, it's, it, Texas has become a food state, but Houston has become the food city of Texas. So Hugo... One, specifically for Hugo's, his uh, interior Mexican restaurant in Montrose, but he also is the executive chef of three other restaurants, Backstreet Cafe, Caracol, and Sochi, which just opened in January in the Marriott Marquis downtown. So as someone who's owned restaurants in the past, how hard is it to be the executive chef of four successful, busy restaurants? Incredibly. he has. It's like juggling 16 balls in the air and then 12 with your feet. It's it's unbelievable. He's he has to have staff that he can trust. Luckily, he's got some family members in there. 
Um, Ruben, his uh, his brother's in charge of all the pastry, but I know he helps out with uh, other kitchen things too. And of course, his business partner is Tracy Vaught, who's his wife. Yeah, that helps. Uh, if you can't trust your wife, then you're in trouble. Certainly, um, Hugo is one of the all-time nice guys in the Houston food world. And I think if you saw the reaction Monday night on social media, it just seems like everybody everybody has a picture with Hugo. Everybody goes to those restaurants. And, and because it had taken six times as a finalist before he won. It just felt like this, you know, finally, like about damn time that Hugo finally got the national recognition that he's deserved for years. Yeah, I know we made this joke last night, but he's the Susan Lucci of the uh, James Beard Awards. Yeah, so so now that Hugo has won, um, what do you think? I mean, who's kind of on your radar as the next Houston chefs to emerge as as James Beard finalists. I mean, certainly, you know, this year on the semifinalist list, you had Terrence Gallivan and Seth Siegel-Gardner from The Passing Provisions, uh, Anita Jaisinghani from Pondicherry. But so so they could move up. But but who else is kind of on your radar as someone that, that you know, now that now that Hugo has cleared out of the way, like, who's the next Houston chef we could hear about as a semifinalist or a finalist for the James Beard Awards? I think Ryan Para has a really strong chance of not only being a finalist, but, but really winning the whole thing. Um, Ryan Lashane with uh, Riel, I think, has a strong chance of being nominated. And then uh, kind of a dark horse is Austin Simmons out in the Woodlands. Um, I know suburbs kind of get overlooked, but um, if he doesn't get nominated, then there's something wrong. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Lashane is someone that I think is really interesting. He's at Riel. He worked for Brian Caswell at Reef and for Chris Shepard at Underbelly. And what Riel is doing, blending that kind of Texas, Gulf Coast, modern, southern thing that, that the restaurants he worked for kind of do really well with his Canadian upbringing and his Ukrainian heritage, it's just, it feels different. And, and I think, you know, in a world where we're always looking for kind of the next thing, I think Riel has that potential and and certainly Austin Simmons at, at Curate and at Hubble and Hudson in the Woodlands. I mean, if you are serious about food and you have not been to Curate for a tasting menu, then you are really missing out. I mean, what Austin treats ingredients like with the same precision and passion that Justin, you did at Oxart, but he applies it to kind of a luxurious standard uni, Japanese beef, oysters that would not be out of place at a restaurant like Tony's. Yeah, he takes the opposite of approach of a lot of Houston chefs. Instead of trying to go uber local, he goes for the best quality ingredients that he possibly can and then tries to treat them with uh, the best uh, technique possible. Um, he's a protege of uh, John Tizar, so there's a lot of technique involved, a lot of French process and uh, Japanese process and the way he cooks. Well, and of course, Ryan Perra from Cultivare. I mean, they just won our Tastemaker Awards. He won the Chef of the Year. Cultivari won the Restaurant of the Year. We joked about it having a four-hour wait. It's really only like an hour or two and only at like peak times on Friday and Saturday nights. But it's certainly one of the most outstanding restaurants in the city. And I think it's just a matter of time before the rest of the country comes around to realizing how good that place is. Yeah, they, uh, Ryan Perra deserves a, a nomination. And I, I think he'll get it. I don't see how he can't. And again, that's the uber-local approach uh, with the Gulf Coast Cuisine an Italian take on Gulf Cuisine, Gulf Coast cuisine, and it's a it's a very fun, unique, approachable take, and it's uh, done very well. All right, well let's let's move on. Last week we talked about Doris Metropolitan, a steakhouse from New Orleans. It's going to 
open in Houston. This week we're going a little more humble, but still uh, another New Orleans restaurant, Dat Dog, has signed a franchise agreement to open 25 locations in the Houston area over the next few years. I mean, I think of us as a burger town and a taco town. Do we need 25 Dat Dogs in Houston? Uh, we'll see. A lot of times when these franchise franchisees sign an agreement to open 25, it doesn't mean they have to open 25 or they will open 25. They're going to open up two to three and then see how it goes. Uh, it just means that they can open 25. Um, but a good dog, hot dog. I mean, there's a there's a long wait every time you go there. So Houston may be thought of as a, as a burger town, but it doesn't mean we're not a hot dog town, too. Yeah, and that dog, I mean, we got a tremendous response to this, my article on Culture Map. I think because people go to New Orleans, they're familiar with it. 30 different sauces, a whole bunch of different sausages, including uh, a vegan option, you know, an alligator sausage. So certainly some of what they're doing is pretty different than what Good Dog or James Coney Island or something like that is doing. Yeah, it's really unique. There's a whole variety of different styles. They have some some Creole and Cajun influences, obviously with the alligator uh, sausage. Uh, but there's, there's several different Creole um, hot dogs which makes it kind of a, a fun thing to have in Houston. Yeah, and you can get uh, crawfish etouffee on top of a hot dog. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I won't ever complain about that. <laughs> so now let's combine out-of-town restaurants and James Beard award-winning chefs. Paul Key, the chef who won Top Chef a few years ago, he had a, a restaurant in Austin called Key. He's a James Beard award winner. Uh, he was also arrested for assault last year, which is makes him a pretty controversial figure, but... He's opening in Montrose. The restaurant is called Aki, A-Q-U-I, and it's right next to Indica on Lower Westheimer. He's starting to put together his team for that restaurant that's going to open this summer. He hired Gabe Medina, who most people know from Soma. He's been hanging out recently at Boasted Kitchen. And then Nikki Vongthong, who I think is maybe a little lower profile, but has worked at Uchi for a number of years to be his chef de cuisine and the sous chef. I mean... This seems to me like a really smart move, right? Get get two people with a lot of credibility in the local culinary scene to run the restaurant because it's not like he's going to be there all the time. Yeah, he needed a chef de cuisine, and he he went local, which was very smart. Uh, Gabe was just an incredible hire. Uh, he has a, a great following in Houston. He is an, a very smart cook. He'll He'll do great things with the menu, but he's also a stand-up guy. So those those few people that maybe have an issue with going to a key because of the controversial things that uh, that Paul has done, um, maybe they can go because because Gabe's there because they want to they want to support Gabe, but maybe they don't want to support Paul. Yeah, and the other thing is Gabe is Filipino. Obviously, the menu for Aki is going to have a Filipino influence. Paul has tweeted that or posted an Instagram picture of menu ideas and include some Filipino dishes. Uh, Gabe has also worked at Narisawa, which is uh, on the list of the 50 best restaurants in the world. It's a restaurant in Tokyo. So a lot of innovative thinking, a lot of new flavors. I, I think, again, something that Houston hasn't seen before. And yeah, I think if you were sort of like, I don't want anything to do with Paul Key, Gabe balances that out a little bit. And I think it's going to cause some people to look at Aki in a way that maybe they would not have otherwise. I mean, he, he's a great chef. I think that's where we should just look at it. If you want to eat great food, then that's a good place to go. Yeah, and if you want a little... It, it has nothing to do with, with his cooking at Aki, but the fried chicken special at 
Bosta Kitchen on Sunday nights is fantastic. And if you're looking for a, a family style meal, it's a great, it's uh, 32 bucks for 10 pieces of chicken. That's pretty hard to beat. All right. So the most popular story on culture map this week was 10 new patios. You know, there are certain stories that we write that we just know are going to blow up. Patios is always one of them. People in Houston love patios. Nathan, as someone who's owned a restaurant, how important is having a patio? Uh, it's a, very important. It's, it's very important to have a, a great patio. The, the cost of rent in Houston is astronomical right now, and you pay a lot less for your patio. Uh, you either pay nothing or you pay a lot less per square foot for your patio than you do for the rest of your, your dining room. So you're, uh, if you can get people to spend money on that patio, you're making a lot more money per square foot than you are for people who spend money in your dining room. So you're essentially lowering how much you're paying in rent if you can turn that dining or that patio into usable square footage. Yeah, and I think the nice thing about these new patios that are featured in the article on Culture Map is that three of them, Grotto, Sochi, and Brasserie de Park, all kind of look out on Discovery Green. And that's an area of downtown that's, that's transformed in the past couple of years. I mean, getting ready for the Super Bowl, it's got new amenities, it's got all these new restaurants in that area, and it's become a real hub for the city, and it's, it's a nice way to be able to appreciate kind of what we've built, you know, and have a great meal. Yeah, Brazzaville Park is a, it's a really interesting patio. It's one of those patios where it's available year-round, even in the sweltering summer heat, because uh, it's kind of glassed in like an atrium, so you can, they have uh, AC that's available, so you feel like you're sitting on a patio, but you're not sweating and dying. Yeah, you get a little bit about it. It's a French restaurant. It's owned by Philippe Verpion from Etoile, which for my money is the best French restaurant in Houston. And it's it gives you a little bit of that Parisian sidewalk cafe vibe. There's a walk-up window for crepes. So, yeah, I think of, of the entire patios on the list, that may be one that's flying under the radar just a little bit because it opened in that crush before the Super Bowl with everything else. So that's, an, that's certainly an option for people if they, you know, we've got, who knows how many more days of nice weather we have left. So before the summer just makes everything ridiculous. So Brasserie de Park is, should be a must try. Yeah. I sit on a patio, even if it's a hundred degrees outside, I don't know why I'm a big guy. I get sweaty, but I just love eating outside. You just drink a lot of iced tea to even it out. Yeah. 40 glasses of iced tea. I, there's ghost stories about me around town. Servers tell nightmare stories about me. People should really just bring you a pitcher that would smooth things out. It would, it would speed the process along. It's happened more than once. Uh, and then the only other patio that I really want to focus on is the new Beavers on Westheimer, just because it's huge. It's 5,000 square feet. It's got a fire pit. It's got um, an Airstream trailer that they've converted into a bar. It's a, just a very comfortable place. And Arash Karat, the executive chef there, is doing some really good things. Uh, he's given their barbecue, like, it's totally legit now. It's, it's worth eating for the first time. And then he's using a lot of really great Gulf seafood, 44 Farms beef. I mean, all the kind of hallmarks of a high-quality Texas culinary program. Yeah, the patio is really cool. It's surrounded by the restaurant, so you, you go inside. There's TVs everywhere. It's got that fake, fake grass. Uh, it's a really cool place to watch sports, eat a delicious chicken fried steak, hang out, and uh, just hang out with friends. Yeah, and since we're on a sports station, we should know it's a great place to watch the Rockets and the Astros continue to win. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Let's dive into our restaurants of the week. And before I do, I just want to remind everybody you can follow 
Nathan Ketchum on Twitter and Instagram at H-Town Food Junkie. Nathan, how many Instagram followers do we have to get this week for you to actually post something to Instagram? If, uh, we, get, if we get 10, will you post a new picture? Yes, though I wouldn't ever notice if I got 10. But Well, folks, that, that's up to you. So if you want Nathan to post more pictures, you gotta you got to follow him and motivate him. All right, so let's talk about the restaurants of the week. And since we were focusing on out-of-town restaurants that are coming to Houston, I wanted to talk about a couple that have opened here recently. I want to start with Ramen Tatsuya. This is the Austin-based ramen joint. Uh, bon Appetit Magazine called it one of the best new restaurants to open in the country back in 2013. They have two locations in Austin. They just opened in Montrose, right off of Westheimer near DeMarco. And my sense is that Houstonians have been a little bit skeptical about Ramen Tetsuya, that it's not quite as busy as, certainly not as busy as the Austin locations and probably not as busy as they want it to be. Nathan, you've eaten at Tetsuya a couple of times. What do you think of the food? I really like the ramen. I think it's one of the better uh, places I've found in Houston. Um, I, I think a lot of their uh, their woes have to do with just showing up in Houston and expecting a wait, not necessarily um, uh, doing a big marketing blitz or something like that. Houstonians aren't uh, people who like to stand in line just to stand in line. And Austin, if there's a line, people just join it, find out it's a line for the bathroom, and then and then go, oops. But you know, Houston's not like that. No, and in fact, I mean, I have driven past Tatsuya before intending to eat there, and when I see that line wrapped around the porch, I just keep driving to somewhere else. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I've, I've spoken with a couple of people there. That is something that they're aware of. That's something they're, they're learning about Houston, obviously. Um, and they're very committed to making it work. So they, you know, now they have to innovate a little bit, reintroduce themselves, like do a, a proper introduction and figure out how to manage that line so that either it looks shorter than it is or that they move people through it more quickly. Because we will as a city, I mean, people do stand in line. They stand in line at Hubcap Grill. They stand in line at the Breakfast Club. They've stood in line for Hopdotty a little bit, but you have to kind of earn that, I think. Yeah, Houstonians will stand in line, but they need to know what they're standing in line for. They need to know it's great, and they need to know it's worth it. And, you know, frankly, Ramen Tetsuya is very good. It's, it's worth standing in line for a while. But when people don't know what it is, they're not going to stand in line for it. So let's move on to another Austin-based concept that's just opened in Houston. It, it's a place that I've become a little bit obsessed with. It's probably not particularly healthy for me, but I'm talking about Dolce Neve, which is a new gelato shop. And I've been describing it as rigorously authentic Italian technique combined with high quality, locally sourced ingredients. Their organic pistachio gelato is maybe the best pistachio ice cream gelato, whatever I think I've ever had. It, it tastes like the ultimate compliment. It tastes like the thing that it is plus creamy and sweet. I know you've been to Dolce Neve because I took you there. What what are your what are your first impressions? Well, first of all, this is a place that you should stand in line for. Very long line and be very happy about it. But I've never had a long line there. I've always I've I I've, I've basically walked in every time I go there. And that's criminal. The the gelato is amazing. It's creamy. I've had two different cheese-based gelatos that I I probably would never have eaten at a different place. Um their chocolate gelato tastes like French chocolate. It's it's one of the top two gelato places in Houston, if not the single best. Yeah, and it's only been open for like three or four weeks. They're making all the gelato in Austin, so the, the consistency between the original and the Houston location is very high. It's, they're, it's the same. 
but yeah, that those goat cheese, you know, the ricotta, I think it's ricotta honey and pecan. It's just like, it's not sweet. It's a little bit savory and that just makes all the difference for me. Yeah. The goat cheese one I had the other day was very, it had a strong goat cheese flavor to it without being tart. It was very interesting and I wouldn't have thought it would have worked well as a, as a gelato, but it, it did. And then just real quick, I want to just touch on Taco Deli. Lord knows Houston is swimming in taco options. We, we need another taco option about as much as we need another burger joint or another steakhouse. But Taco Deli does things really well. They keep things kind of Mexican. They Mexican inspired. So you're not, it's not like fried chicken tenders in a, in a tortilla. They don't even have a fryer. So you're safe there. Just the basic steak and chicken. There's a there's a spicy salmon that's rubbed in uh, rubbed in like a pepper spice mix. It's really great. Uh, the tortillas are good. They're they're made in Dallas, but they're made fresh and they're brought to Houston. So yeah, it's it's you know I know that Houstonians tend to have a a real reticence about fancy tacos. We don't want to pay a lot of money for a taco. This is a taco that's worth your three fifty four bucks. Yeah, they've been very busy since they opened, and they're only open for uh, breakfast and lunch, no dinner. So, yeah, so downtown office workers, like this is your new spot, or if you're commuting in on I-10, get off at Sawyer, hang on the left on Washington, and you'll see it on your way into the office. It's good. It's it's better than you think it's going to be. And one thing Houston does love is breakfast tacos. Yes, we do. All right, that does it for Restaurant of the Week. We'll be back with Ronnie Killen right after this. Thanks for listening to What's Eric Eating. You're listening to What's Eric Eating. For this week's interview, I'm joined by Ronnie Killen, the chef owner of four Houston area restaurants in the order in which he opened them. Killen's Steakhouse, Killen's Barbecue, Killen's Burgers, and Killen's STQ. And if that doesn't keep him busy enough, he also sells barbecue that he smokes on site at NRG Stadium during Texans games, the rodeo, and a few other selected events. I call him the meat king of Houston. Hmm. Ronnie Killen, welcome to What's Eric Eating. How are you? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I want to dive right in. You messaged me. (laughs) You wanted to talk about Killen's Burgers, which will celebrate its first birthday later in May. Mm -hmm. Is Is that the hardest of the four restaurants to manage by far. I mean, it's, it's funny because there's so many, um, I guess, interpretations of what a good burger is supposed to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, I should say my most frustrating and trying to just kind of let people know what we really are about and what we've tried. You know, we've had, you know, people say that we're, we're not gourmet. We're not, you know, it's, it's just difficult because I mean, you know, being, I guess, a chef and, and where a lot of my restaurants is set a very high bar, people's expectations sometimes, you know, I guess they're not met or people feel that, um, they should be getting more or there should be something more bells, whistles, you know, and different things. And, you know, for us, I mean, it's about, you know, the grind, it's about the meat of what we put into it. And, you know, I'm not a really frill type person where, you know, yes, I can make an expensive burger very easy, but just because it's expensive, that doesn't mean that, you know, make it good or gourmet or whatever. 
Right. I mean, you do you do actually sell an expensive burger at Kellen's Steakhouse. Correct. It's like a twenty dollar hamburger, right? Yeah, it's twenty twenty four, and you know, it's it's just it's it's different because you have people coming there that you know will spend a hundred dollars on a steak. So you know, selling a good burger there is you know we're using steak and you know obviously uh, items that are more. Um, expensive price per pound than we are at the burger place. But, you know, the burger place, my whole idea of it was to be something, you know, I researched it. I, I went to, you know, New York. I went to California. I tried in and out several times. You know, I went to London and I ate Shake Shack seven days in a row, you know, and just, just ate it because honestly it was very good to, uh, you know, I just enjoyed seeing what people, you know, what they expected from a burger, you know, there you go and, you know, everything is cooked all the way through. There's not really, you know, you don't go to In-N-Out or Gots or any of those places and order specific burgers because their burgers, their patties normally are kind of small. So, you know, being that this is one of the restaurants that I actually wanted to franchise, I've got, I had like 10 people that want to franchise this, but uh, I, I really don't want to do it yet because I just don't feel like, the community for the most part has, you know, embraced it yet or, you know, what their expectations are. And it's, it's hard because, you know, there's so many variables in, in bar and, you know, barbecue, but uh, honestly there, it's nothing like hamburgers because, you know, in Texas people like mustard, you know, there's, you know, you go to Whataburger, Whataburger is supposed to be the biggest Texas, you know, fast food hamburger place. And it's like, I look at it and I tell my guys like, look, if we could be like Whataburger, we can be like McDonald's. That's great because look what they sell, you know? And for me, it's the restaurant that, you know, it doesn't really make very much money because we, we blend. I mean, our, our meats per pound are costing us right now, probably about six fifty per pound. Right. And, and we should just, for people who haven't been there or who haven't been buying a while, you sell a basic eight ounce half pound hamburger for seven bucks. Seven bucks, correct. And that's, I mean, that's meat that people can feel good about eating. It's not mystery meat like you might get at a fast food restaurant. Well, all of our stuff has been tested for E. coli. So, I mean, you could eat any of it raw. I mean, it's every bit of it is done. We grind it house. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that you really can't find. I mean, it's just, you can't. So many, so many different places to go with this. Obviously, you have the reputation for being, you know, it's one of the best steakhouses in Houston. It is, for my money, the best barbecue restaurant in Houston. And Killen's STQ is so busy that I started looking for reservations on a Friday or Saturday night, the day that we're taping this, uh, and I couldn't find anything until June. Mm-hmm. So, so people come in with high expectations. What have you learned about what you wanted to execute at the burger place versus what people are expecting from you? Well, we wanted to, you know, be something, Hey, it may not be the gourmet burger for 20 bucks, but it's going to be a burger that people will be very happy to spend seven to $10 on, you know, a different grind of burger, you know, bun, you know, I know that meat is very important. Bun is very important. And to me, when I eat there is all I get is a, a cheeseburger with meat, cheese and bun. And that's it. Just because I don't, I don't like all the other stuff, um, you know. I think that I'm very, I'm very simple in that way, and that's kind of what it, you know. I was like, you know, with the 
criticism and stuff that we've received on it sometimes i'm like oh, you know we're gonna have a hamburger and a cheeseburger and that's it you know all this <laughs> other blends all this other stuff it's like you know we're gonna simplify it we're gonna try to do that perfect and then you know and then go go from there but you know it's it's just it's been frustrating and you know and i'm at that place every day you know i and that's why i've gained weight because every morning i go in there and i'll make me a hamburger patty and i'll make sure that the grind is correct that you know it's you know people always like well, your burger doesn't have any flavor. I'm like, well, it tastes like beef. And we've heard, we've heard that people go, well, it, it tastes like meat and beef. And I'm like, well, that's what it's supposed to. It's not supposed to taste like garlic. It's not supposed to take like taste like onions. It's not supposed to taste like, you know, foie gras or whatever. I mean, it's a it's a burger. It's it's a burger that we could easily duplicate if we needed to go to New York or if we needed to go to California. And a lot of the things that we have on the burger or at the restaurant are things that we – first, we started using slow dough. So slow dough buns, I really, really liked them. But if I wanted to open up a place in New York, it would be kind of hard to get slow dough buns in New York or in California. So it's kind of like we were keeping everything together so the blueprint – would be very easily to, to, to duplicate in another state or another city or, or wherever. And now I'm looking at them like going, okay, well, my main focus is really just to get the burger place up to par with, with what we're doing. I mean, I've even, you know, we're doing Snake River Farms right now. Snake River Farms with American Wagyu for $8 for an 8-ounce patty. And it's, it's, it's a great deal, and we grind it in-house. And... Um, you know, I, I've even thought about going to straight all Wagyu. It's like, that's why not? Nobody right. Does I that. mean, Hop Dottie sells a Wagyu burger for like twelve bucks, I think. Yeah, just to give people some idea of the prices. You're selling Wagyu brisket for thirty dollars a pound at the barbecue joint as a special. Right. So instead of thirty dollars for a pound of brisket, you can get a half pound burger for eight bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ate that burger Saturday night, and that's that's what we call show prep. That's how I. That's how I prepare to interview my guests as I go eat their food. I will say it had a it had a great hard crusty sear on the outside, and it was absolutely perfectly medium rare. And we just ate it. Uh, my friend and I just ate it with meat and bun. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want cheese. I didn't want the veggies because, I mean, when you have a really great quality of meat, like I mean, for me, I want to taste the meat. Absolutely, that's the way I look at it too. And you know. By putting lettuce, tomatoes, pickle, onion, and all that stuff that people are, are known to a classic burger, you know, to me, you don't need it. And, you know, I like the cheese because I like the saltiness that comes off the cheese. You know, that's one of the benefits to it. And, uh, and it'll add to a little bit of fl- – it'll also give it flavor. But, you know, the buns that we use, I mean, you know, Martin Potato Roll, I, I stand behind them. I like them. They're, we're still in that – stage of, of working with them they're working with us trying to firm up the bun a little bit We've yeah they been, they they do disintegrate a little bit they're a little bit squishy because they're normally known for a smaller burger i mean they, they do a four inch burger and the majority of the meat that goes on them are, are like three four ounce you know somebody will get a, a double three ounce so they're they're just you know it's very similar to what shake shack does and uh not that i'm trying to be like them uh, we had a comparison to that, and I was like, "Shoot, if I can if I can make a burger as good as Shake Shack, then I win." You know, because <laughs> that's just the way I look at it. So, you know, but again, it's about the meats, the blends, the what we do, and you know, the different French fries. I mean, we have crinkle cuts because crink, like people like crinkle cut, and then we have Kennebecs, and some people don't even know what Kennebecs are, and I'm like going. Okay, stay at Whataburger, <laughs> or, or, <laughs> which I like Whataburger. I mean, I go there. It's funny. Well, I took my whole staff there. We had a great day at the burger place. We went to Whataburger, and I treated them. 
Right. Uh, the Kennebec is a river in Maine, mm-hmm. and that's where they grow really great potatoes that make for really good French fries. Yeah. Uh, you have great onion rings, too. You have your pastry chef, Samantha Mendoza, that did the milkshakes. I had a, uh, I had a banana pudding milkshake that I love that tasted like pudding. banana pudding. Mm-hmm. And, and let's, let's be clear. You do have gourmet options available. So, we, so my friend and I got a Snake River Farms burger, and then we also got the dry-age patty mm-hmm. that, for me, again, we ordered it medium rare. It came out medium rare or maybe even just like a little bit on the rare side of medium rare, which was fine because that dry-aged funk, I mean, that I like in steak translates really well to a burger. And, you know, it's a burger that kind of eats like a steak a little bit because yeah. you're getting that flavor. Mm-hmm. So you do have the gourmet options available. I mean, is that has that appeased people or has that just caused more problems? No, I don't really think it caused most problems. I mean, it's just because I, I like different blends and, and meats and stuff. And, you know, we're trying to give a little more options. But, you know, to me, you know, you know, I asked somebody the other day, I said, what defines being gourmet? Is it expense? Is it cost? Is it ingredients? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, a gourmet burger, I thought that, you know, you could get into what's called a gourmet burger by doing different blends rather than just a run-of-the-mill ground chuck, you know, hamburger meat. So, you know, to me, the flavor that that's what I would think is gourmet rather than having arugula or pickled onions or, you know, different toppings or, you know, truffle or whatever. I mean, I just, you know, I just, in my opinion, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, you, I think the, about the fanciest you can get is a jalapeno cheeseburger, right? You know, yeah. I mean, because to me, if you start, you know, we have barbecue, we have, you know, brisket that we put on burgers and we do pork belly that we put on burgers that we crisp up and stuff. But, you know, to me, when you start overpowering the meat, it's not about the meat anymore. It's about the toppings. And there's so many burger places, in my opinion, around the Houston area, that's all they focus on, the toppings. And if you have toppings like that, why do you need a good meat? You can well, go buy and just buy cheap stuff. Right. I mean, if you go to Shake Shack, which is right down the street from the beautiful Gal Media Studios that we're standing in right now, you get that Lockhart Link burger with the Kreitz Market sausage on it. You can't taste the patty at all. Yeah. All you taste is sausage. Yeah. So you don't want to skew too far the other way. But that that's just kind of where, you know, I'm kind of a purist in that. It's like it's all about the meat. And I think I even have that printed on one of our barbecue shirts. <laughs> so, you know, it's what it's about. And, you know, it's just it's difficult because, you know, everybody has their own opinion. It's very, you know, I used to think that barbecue was the most uh, um, what are you looking for? not criticized but everybody has their own opinion of way you know their dad cooked barbecue yeah everybody 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 has an opinion about barbecue you know if you ask anybody what's the what's the best brisket you ever said have had they say the one i make yeah you know um but i think that's doubly true for burgers because it's so accessible because anybody with a grill yeah can just fire them up and make them however they like them yeah and it's and it's funny because you know yes i would love to put my chef spin on on the burger but to me i think the burger that we do uh i think it's good i mean i had one before i came up here too because i was like you know i want to try it out and i just want to see you know if, and trust me i'm my biggest critic and if there's something that i feel that's wrong you know i'm going to adjust it i'm going to change it and i've been you know making changes at the burger place you know almost since day one but it's just what I try to do to, you know, to try to be, you know, is to try, try to please everybody or pr- try to meet so many different people's expectations of, of what we have. Well, yeah. I mean, so what are some of the changes? Because I know that you just you changed the size of the patty from 10 ounces to 8 ounces. What what other changes have you made recently? Um, the killing sauce that we did, um, we changed it just to um, 
my way of thinking is I like to eat and taste stuff or, or sell stuff that hits your senses, you know, sweet, sour, savory or salty, you know, smoky is another element that I put in a lot of my SCQ stuff, you know, an, an element of flavor or sense and spicy. So when you can put all that together and being in a sauce, you know, sauce, we, we started making a sauce now that basically you take kosher pickles and you grind them up and then it has mustard, mayonnaise, onion powder, garlic powder, uh, smoke. We put some smoked paprika just because I like that smoky element to it. And then uh, we added just a little bit of cayenne. So you have just a little spice. So it's not like it's hot, but it's just kind of like our cream corn in a way. When you put the cream corn in your mouth and it just has this little bit of a tingle around it, it makes you want more, but it's not hot. And this just kind of is a sauce that, to me, if you put the sauce, the meat, the cheese together, that's all you need. My, my son doesn't even like burgers, and I met him one the other day using the Snake River Farm and uh, just put a little bit of the sauce on it. And he's like, wow. He goes, <laughs> and he doesn't even like burgers. He doesn't like burgers. He doesn't like my steak place. He, the only thing he likes really is chicken tenders. Does he hate, does he hate freedom and puppies and <laughs> football teams? Yeah, no, he's not really a big football fan. But oh, you know, no. he started working at the burger place, and he's like, Dad, man, I can see. It's like you know, people come up, and they're just they're – you know, their expectations of, you know, this burger's got a little pink in it and stuff, and they complain about it. And I'm like going, you know, we want people to get the burger their way, whatever they, you know, sometimes I feel like Burger King, you know, have it your way. But, you know, there's a certain way that sometimes I think the public actually don't really even know what a medium burger is. Well, there's pink in it. Well, medium should have pink. And it's, and it's frustrating in a way because I'm always doubting what I do and, and people, you know, just with social media are so insulting and stuff. And it's like, we're just trying to make a good product. I don't even care to me, my burger place, I don't even care if I make money. I'd rather make people happy than, than make it a place that, you know, I'm, I'm overcharging somebody, but you know, I, I posted the other day about the snake river burger and people are going, you could charge double that and still be where people would be happy. And I'm like going, that's not about that for me. It's about, you know, and, you know, I might say redeeming myself because, I mean, we're at the end of the month. You know, one of the reasons that I opened up National Hamburger Day is because every our birthday we're going to be giving away burgers again. So we did the burger giveaway probably, I don't know, three or four months ago, and we're getting ready to do it again at the end of the month. So that's May 28th, right? May 28th. So you said you you've been talking to people about franchising Killen's Burgers. Where what is the status of that? Do you are we going to see Killen's Burgers maybe in other places in Houston or in other cities? Um, originally it was going to be in Chicago, New York, and California, and um, I have people that want to franchise it. Where right now, just because they love it, and it's funny because I get people that love it, and then I get people that hate it, and and I'm just going like, it's a hamburger, it's a burger. So, you know, yes, we want to, but I haven't done it yet because I haven't felt that I've got, that I got everything working right, if that makes sense. I mean, you know, I've got one of my guys that helped build Killen Steakhouse that worked with me for 11 years and he's cooking burgers. You know, I probably have the most expensive burger cook in this probably in the United States, honestly, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's how bad I want the burger place to be, you know, just as well known or just as, as liked or appreciated as my other restaurants, because, you know, I, I don't have to do it, but I'm doing it, you know, 
All right. Well, if, if Killen's Burgers is still a little bit of a work in progress, it seems like Killen's STQ has been a smash hit. Right. I, I, but, I, but I know you're always, you said earlier, you're always tweaking. Are you, are you happy with where you're at with Killen's STQ? You know, there's some things that I'm, that, you know, we've been wanting to change the lighting in there. And, and these are little issues that, that I, I get. As far as the, the details of food, I think a lot of the food is very good. And, you know, we're always trying to bring a little bit more into it. I've got a couple of different seafood ideas that I, that I want to put in. Um, I've got a couple of little things that we're working on right now. You know, but my thing as far as this DQ, I think the only thing that we need to work on really is the environment, you know, the lighting. I mean, you know, once you get to the table, I think the table's the stuff that's at the table, you know, everything that we use there is is great, you know, and the food, you know, the reviews that we have. There's some there's some little things that I want to tweak, but, you know, it's funny because I got that going. Everything's been going great. And it's like I've been focusing so much on the burger place that the other places, you know, they're they're working really go they're going really good right now. So it's like I, I'm not I'm you know, I'm just torn up on I don't know, just so like trying to focus on the burgers that, you know, the other stuff I'm like going, Okay, you know, let me get this burger thing down. And hey, I mean, trust me, I thought about putting putting a fried chicken place there because everybody <laughs> loves our fried chicken and stuff. And then we do at all of our restaurants. And um, and I talked to a couple of people that had fried chicken places in Houston. They're like, man, don't do that. It's the hardest thing you could ever do. So, you know, and I was like, uh, have you tried burgers yet? And it's funny because I know all <laughs> these burger places that are popping up around you know, Texas that, you know, those are the barbecue places that are open burger places and stuff. And I'm like, I mean, y'all don't know what y'all get into because it's, it, it's tough, tough. I mean, well, you were just talking about the difficulty of sort of dividing your attention. I mean, how's that, how's that process? What's that process like for you? How are you managing four restaurants at once? Cause you don't have like a big corporate structure, at least that I'm aware of. Like there's no, operations manager right restaurants right or like it's that. funny i was just talking to russell barrett and russell was telling me he goes ronnie he goes you need to get an operations guy i was like what's that <laughs> go, I, I, I thought that's me i mean you know because in the morning my my daily thing i get up have my coffee then i'll go to the burger place make sure the burger blend's going good then i'll go to the barbecue place to make sure the stuff is being taken care of that's it's getting its rest time there's all the process but with the burger with the barbecue place I mean, once it's done, it's done. We're just basically in a serving mode then. So everything kind of changes. And then, you know, going back to the burger place, make, you know, just making sure that the lettuce is correct, which I don't have. I mean, that's just how detailed that I look at all the restaurants. Then, then I'll swing by the, the steakhouse. Then I go to the steakhouse, the SDQ. And, you know, that's just kind of the flow of everything. And, you know, I, I usually go where I, where my attention to detail or where I need to, to focus on and uh and it's it's a long i mean it's a long day i mean we have something that nobody really knows about but we could be opening up a barbecue place in austin wow yeah that's this is the first that's a little news <laughs> um <laughs> what's the what's the timeline for that uh i'm actually gonna go up there as soon as i finish with this interview and um i'm talking to um, a real estate person that uh, we found a location there and i i i I've even talked about actually moving my barbecue place. <laughs> There's probably going to be some unhappy people about that, but I probably will never do that. But just, um, 
Austin is a place that I'd love to retire. I, I love being on the water. I have a boat and stuff. And, and this place is uh, in Lakeway. It's a really good location. And uh, it's a lot. It's a big, you know, it's an acre, half of land, good parking. There's a lot of pluses and everything to it. And that would be difficult, you know, to go back and forth. But, you know, it's really two and a half hours. It's not like it's so far away. And sometimes, you know, I can drive from Pearland to, to Voss and it'll take me an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. So, you know, I'm looking at that where it's just Austin. You know, I think the culture, the people waiting in line, the whole barbecue scene, I, you know, I think it's, I mean, Austin is where I think it'd be a good place to go. And where I'm at would be very similar to the distance between, you know, the center of Austin to like Driftwood if you were going to Salt Lake or you're going up toward Lakeway. It's it's all in a vicinity. Uh, I've done a lot of, you know, traffic counts. I've done a lot of work and stuff. And honestly, I'd like to buy the place just for the land. I don't really care. A barbecue place would just be a bonus. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a, a little side hobby to pay for the yeah. pay for the build out. There you go. So speaking of the barbecue place, the Texas Monthly Top 50 is coming out soon. Every four years, Texas Monthly ranks the 50 best barbecue joints in Texas, by which we mean the world, because who cares about barbecue joints that aren't in Texas? Exactly. Uh, your Pearland, the original Killens Barbecue, opened after the last ranking came out. Mm-hmm. So it was ineligible. So this is the first time that you could be ranked. Do you have any expectations for where you expect to be in that? I'm just happy to be in the top 50. I mean, my goal when I set out uh, to do barbecue was basically to put Houston back on the barbecue map because for a long time, I mean, Houston wasn't really known as to having great barbecue and stuff. And a lot of people have kind of said that I'm the one that started that. And, you know, that was my goal. I mean, you know, to to uh, create a, a, an environment where people would, would stand in line. To do, and it's so funny because all the lion things, you know, somebody goes, oh, you just copied Aaron Franklin. It's like, no, we just serve barbecue. I said, if people, you know, if they want to stand in line, that's up to them. And uh, we just try to make good food. We don't, we don't write reviews. We don't, you know, we don't, you know, overhype our place. All we do is try to make good food. And somebody was saying, well, you know, your PR machine. I was like, my PR does not handle my barbecue place. I don't do that. But um, my expectation, hey, you know, yeah. Do I think I'll be in the top 10? I think it could. we could be because from things that have been have written, uh, Daniel Vaughn from Texas Monthly gave us a 4.75 4. out of 5 star rating. He said that our food well-rounded as far as, you know, the meats, the sides, the desserts. Uh, you know, I don't think that people – in the barbecue world do what we do in that part. So, you know, do I think my brisket is better than Frank Aaron Franklin's? No, you know, it's brisket, you know, do I think that we, we do a lot of proteins? Well, yes. I mean, obviously Pete Wells from the New York times thought the same thing. So, I mean, what, I don't know. I mean, if we're in the top 10, I'd be, that's great. If I'm in the top five, I mean, we had the Texas Barbecue Posse say that we were going to be the, the winners. And to me, it's like, I, I don't like that. I don't like when people predict that because they, they're predicting it. And then you get all the, the people saying, well, you know, they're not. They're, what are you thinking? You're crazy. This Because it's so just opinionated and so subjective on what barbecue is. And, you know, I tell people all the time, we just try to serve good food. That's it. 
So you're looking at Austin for another location of the barbecue joint. Mm -hmm. You still, if I'm going to be really technical and fussy about this, don't have a restaurant inside the loop yet. I know that you like to look at properties all the time. Have you found anything? Is that still one of your goals or are you more focused on Austin at this point? No, Austin is just something that popped up. And, uh, you know, I was looking, trying to find, I have a, a couple of different things going on inside the loop right now that I'm looking at that we're just, one is it's, there's just so much work that needs to be done that it's, um, it, it, the time I, I don't, I, I'm very, you know, if I see something, I like to hop on it and do it right then. And I, you know, something that's like a year, a year and a half, I can't focus on a year and a year and a half. It's just too far away from me. And to me, I'm like all about today and tomorrow. And, you know, next week is kind of too far off. But you think that'll probably be barbecue as opposed to another steakhouse? Um, you know, there's a couple of locations right now that uh, are are in inside the loop that there's steakhouse there right now that I've been approached to about taking over and stuff. So, you know, there's I can't say never. I mean, would I like to do another steakhouse? Yes. Um, SDQ is too small. Yes. I mean, that was a. Uh, you know, that was just to see pe- how people would react to what I was going to do, if they would like the the live fire, if they would like w- what we were doing, you know, and doing keeping it a smaller concept. You know, to me, I would rather be where we can't seat everybody than rather have 50 tables or 50 seats open every night. So, and plus the place does very well. It stays busy. And I think that, you know, when you have a, a smaller venue, very similar to my old steakhouse, you know, you get that, you know, that excitement of people wanting to be here and the exclusiveness of not being able to get in. You know, it's like I get people from the Texans contact me all the time. The owner of the Texans stuff, you know, they want to get into the restaurant. I'm like, you know, JJ called me two weeks ago. He goes, Ronnie, he goes, can I get in the, you know, SDQ is Friday at seven o'clock. I'm gone. I don't have it. I don't have it. And he's like, are you serious? And it's like, well, I can do it about eight 30. That's about it. And he goes, I got to eat at seven. So, you know, that's just, you know, the way a lot of these athletes, they got certain times they got to eat. And then, you know, yeah, I would like to help everybody, but trust me, my phone rings all the time and people want to get in there and we just don't have it available. So, I mean, but that's such a simple problem to solve, right? You just, you call the person with the four top at seven o'clock. You say, look, I got to bump you to eight thirty, but you're going to get a JJ Watt autograph football. <laughs> Solves itself, right? I don't know. There's some people that may not want to wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ronnie Kellen, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I think this was terrific. Um, you can follow Ronnie, Ronnie's restaurants on Twitter and Instagram. There's a new Fans of Killen's Restaurants page on Facebook that'll be your go-to point for everything about them. You can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. And of course, keep it locked on Culture Map for all new content every day about bars and restaurants that are opening and closing in Houston. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Like Katie Nolan always says, uh, please leave a comment and rate us, but only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with Jonathan Horowitz, the president of the Houston Restaurant Association.